0: Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kayla. I serve as the pastor of Congregational Connections here at Eastside. Now last week, Pastor Preston shared with us the story about Ananias and Sapphira. And he challenged us with this question, what is your motivation? And I hope that this last week, you've had time to think this through, to consider your own motivations if they come from a place of insecurity or of wholeness in Christ. Now you might notice that this sermon is also titled with a question, but my hope is that this question wouldn't take you a whole week to consider. Uh, We're going through what's your name this morning. So I have two sons. They are amazing, energetic, sweet, wonderful little boys. And I don't know if you guys uh, know anyone or maybe you are this person who like puts a lot of thought into the naming of their children. You know, I have friends who like, they spent a lot of time naming their children something that was like biblical and had really good meaning to it. They were very intentional with that. I, on the other hand, did not have that much forethought. When I was pregnant with my oldest, my husband and I sat down and we decided to name him Aiden Keith. Now, we said Aiden because we liked the way it sounded, and then we said Keith because it's a family name, it's my husband's middle name, his dad's middle name and it wasn't until we had filled out all the paperwork social security card birth certificate basically written the name in stone that i decided to look up what it meant so aiden means little fire keith means wood so i named my child little fire wood i know now you would think I would have learned my lesson by the time kid number two came along. But no, I didn't. We named kid number two Carter Bruce. Again, we liked the way Carter sounded. And Bruce, also a family name, my dad's middle name. But Carter means one who drives a cart. I know, we're killing it. Bruce means thick brush. So we have little firewood and thick brush cart driver as the names of our children. Now, thankfully in the society we live in, that's probably not going to hinder them too much. Their names, and the meaning of their names, it's probably not going to drive what they become when they get older. Cause I'm really not sure what a thick brush cart driver would look like right now, but thankfully that's not the case for them. But the story that we're going to look at this morning, it takes place in a time when a name spoke to a person's character. It said something about who they were, who they were going to be. We're gonna look at the story of a woman who went through such terrible circumstances, pain and grief, that she told people to throw out her old name and to call her a new name. She found her identity in her circumstances. There have been a lot of times in my life where I found myself questioning my purpose, questioning who I am in the world. I found my identity in a variety of places. When I was a student, my identity was in my good grades and getting good enough grades. As I became an adult, it shifted to being my identity as a wife and a mother. And if I'm being really honest, parts of my identity come from being a pastor as well. And while all of these things are good, none of them are guaranteed. So what happens when you put your identity in something that's not guaranteed? Often, an identity crisis is the result of some sort of change that we weren't expecting. We didn't get the job that we hoped for, or we lost the job job that we loved. We find ourselves alone when the plan was to grow old with someone. Or maybe a move has severed your connection with the community that you loved and now you find yourself having to build that community all over again. You know, if I were to guess, I would say we are living in a time of identity crisis. We have spent so much time building our identities on these external things and slowly, they seem to be just slipping away. For some of us, we've built our identity on our job or our career. I mean, think about it, it makes sense. What's the first question you ask when you meet someone new? So, what do you do? What is your job? We are accountants, managers, teachers, even pastors. These have become defining pieces of who we are. When I learn that you are a middle school teacher, I know that you have patience as deep as the ocean and I revere you. Or maybe we find ourselves defining ourselves through our relationships. I am Little Firewood's mother. I am a thick cart, sorry, thick brush cart driver's mother. I am Nate's wife. I am Kevin and Beverly's daughter. I am a good sister. I am a good friend. Sometimes we find our identity in our circumstances I am doing well, I am struggling, I am rich, I am poor, I am hashtag blessed. And most of the time our identity is wrapped up in some sort of combination of all of these things. But the problem with defining ourselves in any of these ways is that eventually they will fall away. Every single one of these from jobs to relationships to circumstances, they will either change or be gone. I am Aiden's mother and I will always be Aiden's mother, but that relationship looks different when he's six versus 18 versus 35. My circumstances might change based on an unexpected repair or maybe an extra blessing. When we lose these things, who are we? We are in an identity crisis. This morning, I wanna share with you a story from the Old Testament. It's a story of a lady who had her own identity crisis. But in her story, we see God working and moving behind the scenes. We see God use another broken-hearted woman and a generous man to bring about her redemption. So our story takes place in the Old Testament. And at this point, God's people had been set free from Egypt. God had worked wonder after wonder, and they had been set free to go through the desert. After 40 years of wandering, they were finally allowed to go in and to conquer the land that God had promised them. And so they did, they conquered and they settled down. But then they started this this cycle of being faithful to God but then getting a little too comfortable and deciding they wanted to worship uh, worship idols instead. And then God would remove his hand of blessing and people would come in and conquer them. And then they would cry out to God again in repentance, save us, we'll worship you alone. So then God would send this judge, someone to come in and to rescue his people. But then they kept doing this cycle over and over and over again. This is the time period, the time period of the judges where our story takes place. See this book, the book of Ruth, it centers on the story of a family. Now this family, this story, centers on a woman named Naomi. And I know I told you that names meant something and Naomi's name meant pleasant. Her story begins with her husband deciding to move her and her sons to the land of Moab. You see, there wasn't any food in Israel. And so they left to go to this foreign land so that they could find some food. And while they were there, her sons married a couple of the local women named Ruth and Orpah. But over the course of their time there, Naomi's husband Elimelech, he died. And then as more time passed, both of her sons also passed away. After 10 years of being in Moab, both of Naomi's sons were gone. Her husband was gone and she was left with just her two daughters-in-law. Now you should know that in this time and culture, a woman's identity was wrapped up in her role as a wife and a mother. She wouldn't have been able to hold a job or to bring in an income. With no husband or sons to look after her, she would have had no future. No opportunity, no identity. So it was natural that when Naomi heard there was food in Bethlehem, she knew she needed to go back home. She and Ruth and Orpah, they packed up all of their belongings and they began making the journey home. Before they had gotten too far, Naomi turned to her daughters-in-law. She told them, you should go back to your mother's home. May God be kind to you as you have been kind to your dead husbands and to me. May God give you rest in the home of another husband." But when Naomi went to kiss them goodbye, they wept and said, no, we wanna come with you. Let us come to your hometown. We'll be with your people. But Naomi shook her head. She knew they had no future. There were no opportunities for her now. She couldn't let her daughters-in-law suffer the same fate. Go home, she said. You don't have a future with me. Look, I know that there's this custom of you like marrying your dead husband's brother to produce an heir in his name. But let's just say I get married tomorrow and then I get pregnant right away. Are you really going to wait 18 years for a husband? Of course not. God has turned his back on me but you, you can still have a life. They both shook their heads, tears streaming down their faces. Orpah looked into Naomi's eyes and she realized Naomi was right. She didn't have a future with her. There weren't any opportunities for her. If anything, she would have been a burden, another mouth to feed. And so she embraced her mother-in-law and she left, tears still streaming down her face. Naomi slowly wiped some tears from her eyes and turned her attention to Ruth. Well, she said, aren't you gonna go do what Orpah did? She's going back to home. She's gonna have a family. She's gonna have a future. Go with her. But Ruth shook her head. Deep inside, she knew what she needed to do. Stop, she said. Stop telling me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die too. And there I will be buried. May your God deal with me ever so severely. If anything, even death separates us. You are stuck with me. Naomi let out an exasperated sigh. She knew better than to keep arguing with Ruth. She had made up her mind. And so they packed up their belongings and they began the long, tear-filled journey back to Bethlehem, each of them mourning the losses that they had suffered. They arrived in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Naomi was hit with a tidal wave of grief as she walked past the places she and the Limelech used to visit. She almost didn't notice the whispers that began to follow them through town. Is that, is that Naomi, said one? It is, it's her, Naomi's back. But wait a minute, said another. Where's her husband? Where's Elimelech? And who is this girl with her? Even the sound of her name, Naomi Pleasant, left a bad taste in her mouth. Pleasant, that's not me anymore. Finally, Naomi could take it no longer and she turned to the group of women who had gathered. She addressed them and said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant because that's not who I am anymore. Call me Mara, bitter. When I left here, my life was full. It was full of meaning and full of opportunity. But God, God has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has judged me and punished me. He has brought great misfortune on me. With tears beginning to well up in her eyes, she turned to Ruth and nodded, indicating that they should keep moving. In her pain, Naomi let her circumstances define her. She lived in a world where a woman's identity came from their role as a wife and a mother, and now she had neither of those things. So her identity was defined by her circumstances, by her pain, by her bitterness. But she didn't stop there. Not only did she let her painful circumstances redefine who she was, she let them redefine how she understood and how she viewed God. God was no longer a loving provider for his people. God became a harsh judge in her eyes. Not someone who blessed his people, but someone who took away from his people, stripping them of the things that gave their life meaning. Sometimes our circumstances lead us to question who we are and who God is. We are in an identity crisis. We are unsure of both ourselves and our creator, but thankfully, God is steady even when we are not. In fact, God often uses the love and the generosity of others to show us who he is. And that's what happened in Naomi's story. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, the one who had left behind her family, her nation, her religion, one who had left all of that behind to go with Naomi, she volunteered to take a job working in the field. You see, when God had written his law, he had made this provision. He wanted to provide for those who were poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, people who wouldn't have had a chance to survive otherwise. And so he told his people, when you're out there harvesting, don't clean the field, leave a little bit here and there. Leave behind something so that the poor, the widowed, the orphan, the foreigner, so that they can go behind and gather up their own food. And so God had made this provision and Ruth was there to take advantage of that. She was going to go to the field, even though it put her in a place of vulnerability. As a woman with no husband, who wasn't even from around here, she would have been subject to harassment potentially, but she decided to go and to take that chance. And it just so happened that Ruth stumbled upon the field of a man named Boaz. Now, Boaz was a good guy. And in fact, he was actually related to Naomi's dead husband. And when he had heard about everything that Ruth had done, when he had seen her out in the field working hard, he decided to pull her aside. He was He admired her work ethic and everything she had sacrificed for her mother-in-law. And so he pulled her aside and said, look, I know that this is hard for you and it's not always a safe place, but if you stay with the women who work in my field, I promise you will be safe. And then he went over and above and loaded her down with even more food so that at the end of the day, Ruth went home with 30 pounds of food. When she came through the door and Naomi saw that, her eyes lit up. Where have you been, Naomi exclaimed. When Ruth told her about Boaz and the kindness he had shown her, Naomi's face lit up and she looked happier than she had in a year. God bless that man. Boaz is a close relative. In fact, she said, the wheels turning in her mind, I think he qualifies as a kinsman redeemer. He qualifies as someone who could help rescue our family. He could rescue us from this mess that our lives are right now. Naomi told Ruth to keep working in Boaz's field for the rest of the harvest while she started working on a plan, a matchmaking plan. At the end of the harvest season, Naomi pulled Ruth aside and she said to her, I think it's time we get you a husband. The harvest season is almost over and that can only mean one thing. Boaz is going to go to the threshing floor and he's gonna stay there because he's gonna wanna protect his investment. He's gonna wanna make sure that everything stays and doesn't get stolen. So what I need from you is I want you to go, take a shower, put on some perfume, dress up in your nicest clothes, and then after Boaz is eaten and drank and when he falls asleep, go, uncover his feet and lay there at his feet until he wakes up and he'll tell you what to do. Now you may be thinking Old Testament flirting is weird and you would be right. But what you need to know about this is that up until this point, Ruth was probably still in her morning clothes. When Ruth uh, showered and put on new clothes and perfume, she was signaling to Boaz that she was ready to move on. She was ready to get married again. And so Ruth did everything that Naomi told her to do. And whenever Boaz woke up, he was startled to see someone at his feet. When he sat up, he rubbed his eyes. And when he was sure that he wasn't dreaming, he called out to see who was there. And when Ruth replied, he smiled. He promised that he would look into the matter the very next day. You see, there was somebody in line before him, but he was gonna check with that person and he was gonna do his best to make sure that Ruth and Naomi were taken care of. And he did. Boaz made his way to the city gate on the very next day. The city gate was where all the business was taken care of. And as he went to the elders and to this other person who was in line before him, he began to negotiate and to work things out. And, you know, they exchanged a shoe, you know, like you do. And then he walked away with the ability to get to marry Ruth. And he did. Boaz married Ruth. And she got pregnant right away. When she gave birth to a healthy baby boy, Naomi took the child up in her arms. And then the women, the very same women, who Naomi had said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I am bitter, my life is bitter. I'm empty. The very same women gathered around Naomi as she held this child and they said to her, praise God who has provided for you through your kinsman redeemer, your daughter-in-law, who has been better to you than seven sons, has given birth to a boy who can care for you in your old age. Naomi had a future again. When we struggle or face uncertainty, it can be so easy to fall into an identity crisis. When the things that we used to define ourselves by are stripped away, we're left wondering who we are. You know, as people who follow Jesus, we have this wonderful name. We get to be the children of God. But sometimes when we struggle, it's hard for us to remember that. We exchange that identity for the one of bitterness and losing what we thought defined us. And then when we lose our identity as those children of God, we begin to lose who God is. We let the circumstances of our life distort our view of God exchanging the God who lovingly provides for us, for the God who judges us harshly and strips things away from our life, leaving us with nothing. So what do we do? When you doubt who you are, just remember whose you are. Let me say that again. When you doubt who you are, just remember whose you are. When Naomi was drowning in grief, finding no hope, she believed that God was against her. But in reality, God was working out a redemption plan for her behind the scenes. When we too find ourselves overwhelmed by our circumstances, feeling our pain become our identity, God is right there in the trenches with you. God is not against you. God is for you. When you find yourself unsure of who you are, remember whose you are. Our identity is found in our relationship with God. In 1 John, uh, the first verse of uh, chapter three, The first part, the author says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It is the love of God that gives us our identity as children of God. It's an identity that doesn't change with the seasons. It's not temporary. It won't get canceled. Sometimes we might forget, but it doesn't make it any less true. And so this morning to help us remember our identity, we're going to get a little bit interactive. So if the person beside you has fallen asleep, go ahead and give them a little nudge, you know, wake them back up, we're gonna get a little interactive. I'm gonna wanna hear from you guys this morning. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to say a line and then I'm gonna ask you guys to say, I am a child of God, okay? Should we do a practice? Yeah, okay, all right, ready? Say it with me, I am a child of God. Okay, now one more time for the people who were asleep. I am a child of God. So whether you're here on campus or you're watching online or on demand, I want you to say it out loud because I think that you need to hear the words coming from your own mouth. You need to hear your true identity. When life is beautiful and blessings flow my way, I am a child of God. When life is difficult and grief weighs heavy on my soul, I am a child of God. When my children are well behaved and their hugs flow a plenty, I am a child of God. When I am alone, feeling as though no one cares for me, I am a child of God. When my student loans are paid off and all of my bills are taken care of, I am a child of God. When I don't know how I'm going to keep the lights on or how I could pay for that last minute repair, I am a child of God. When I am promoted or hired my career moving forward, I am a child of God. When I lose that job I loved or don't get hired for the one that I'd hoped for, I am a child of God. When I feel the warmth of community with friends to walk with me through life, I am a child of God. When I lose a friend or feel lonely or isolated, I am a child of God. When life is falling apart, when grief becomes second nature, when I don't know who I am anymore, when I feel empty, when I feel bitter, when I can't feel God's presence in my life, I am a child of God, because no matter my circumstances, whether they are good or bad, joyous or devastating, I am a child of God. It's a simple truth, but so often life circumstances make it hard to remember. In Naomi's story, she had people in her life, people in her life to rescue her from her own despair, to bring pleasantness, back into her life. Naomi had Ruth, a brokenhearted woman who not only was walking through the same pain, but she understood the grief that Naomi had. She had Boaz, whose generosity provided a future, provided hope for her when she had none. This is what it means for us to be children of God, to be the Ruth to someone else who's walking through difficulty to be a Boaz, helping to provide for others. Did you know many, maybe even most people, they find God because they know and love someone who knows and loves God. We need each other to remind us of who we are, What would the church look like if each of us let our identity as children of God inform all of our actions? As Christians, we have each other to help remind us when we get off track. We have people like Ruth who may have walked through a similar difficulty and can be a loving presence in our lives. We have people like Boaz who are generous with their time and resources, who show us kindness that helps us as well. We have each other. And so this morning, I hope that you do not walk away without realizing who you are. When life circumstances strip away at what you built your identity on, build your identity on God. You are a child of God. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes. It's gonna reinforce that. And I hope that you hear it. And then as you go through your week, if you need to say it out loud to yourself again, do it. In the middle of the grocery store, just say it. I am a child of God. Remember who you are. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we stand in awe of who you are, our loving provider, our redeemer. You are where we find our identity. And even when we've lost our way, we know that you are still for us, not against us. Lord, I pray that you will remind us of this truth and help us to live it out as we encourage others. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.